And welcome to the first ever episode of Football Friday with your host, Jonah Malkin. Thank you so much for joining me on a Friday evening. I'll be here every week, 5 to 6 p.m. Pacific Standard Time, and then played back from 9 to 10 p.m. Pacific Standard Time. This is super exciting for, for me. I've been looking forward and anxious to hosting a show like this for quite some time. And what this show is going to be about, covering all aspects of high school football, the national high school football landscape, breaking down teams, breaking down opponents, matchups, any topics related to high school football this entire season. I am your guy. I'm your host, Jonah Malkin. This is going to be fun. We got a jam-packed show for you today. Yes, this is the first ever episode, and yet we still have a great guest on just around the corner coming up. In about 15 minutes, I've got the head coach of the reigning National High School Football Champion, St. John Bosco Braves head coach, Jason Negro, joining me at around 5.15, so make sure to stay tuned for that. And again, please rate, review, subscribe on across all platforms. I'm on Twitter, Instagram, and of course, go to Twitch TV and type in Landry Football and LandryFootball.com and LandryFootballNetwork.com. Every single Landry Football that you can think of, type in Football Friday and I will be there. So let's get started today. One of the reasons why I wanted to host a show like this is because I think it's so imperative to shine a light on high school programs, high school players, high school coaches, because they don't get enough attention right now as they should. And I think that if anything, what the pandemic has illustrated to us is that we crave sports. We crave anything that is sports related. And these players, they, they provide that for us on a week to week basis. And we're really fortunate. We're really privileged to have that opportunity. And they give so much to us. And so much attention is shined on the college programs, on professional programs, that I think it's only fair that I return the favor to them. And so that's the purpose of this show. And before I get into anything, again, appreciate you guys staying with me. This is going to be a fun, long, one-hour show. And so what I'm going to start off with every show with is my Football Friday First Thoughts. This is one of my uh, flagship talking points and flagship segments. Basically, this is going to be my opportunity to just talk about any high school football topic that's on my mind. And I think that today there is no better topic than to start off with whether high school football players should play this upcoming season. So there are two salient points when you're trying to decide, in my opinion, whether or not a high school football season should be played. The first most important point is what state are you playing in? Different states are mandating different rules. Different states are starting at different times. You have states that are starting in the fall and states that are starting in the spring. So just for the record, the states that are beginning in the fall, just to give people a little bit of a perspective, we've got Alabama, Alaska, Arizona, Arkansas, Connecticut, Florida, 
Georgia. Those two are big. Idaho, Indiana, Iowa, Kansas, Kentucky, Massachusetts, Michigan, Mississippi, Nebraska, New Jersey. Although New Jersey's planning on starting in October, North Dakota, Ohio, Oklahoma, Pennsylvania, South Carolina, South Dakota, Tennessee, and Texas, their two largest classifications are going to be pushed back about five weeks. So why is this important? Right? That, that's really the question. And to me, it's pretty crystal clear because if you're playing in a state, and, and let, let me just first put out a, dis, a disclaimer. If there are any reservations about COVID, don't play. It's, it's black and white. It's very simple. There's no need for an arbiter. There's no need to belabor any points. You don't play. If you're worried about contracting the virus, if you're worried about infecting someone you love, infecting someone you care about, then don't play. It's as simple as that. So that, that goes without saying. The reason why the states are important, and I'm also going to break down the states that have opted to play in the spring and the ones that are undecided as well, is because if you're playing in a state that's planning on beginning in the fall, then to me, there aren't as many obstacles to overcome. There aren't as many potential dangers, right? Because if you're, if you're a football player and you're worried about getting injured, if you play in the fall, you've got plenty of time to recover, to rehab, and do everything you need to do to get yourself ready for the college football season. Again, knock on wood, we do have one, and hopefully by the time the fall of 2021 rolls around, we will. But, and this is what leads to the other half of the topic, which is if you're playing in the spring, do you want to run that risk of potentially injuring yourself and suffering a major setback before you attend a college university? If that was me, I wouldn't want to do that because you're setting yourself back perhaps half a year, perhaps an entire season. Do you really wanna run that risk if you're playing in the spring versus the fall? Obviously you don't wanna injure yourself at all, but at least it, God forbid if that happens, then you still have plenty of time to rehab fully and be back to 100% by the time the next season rolls around. So that's the first thing. Now, if you're planning on playing in the spring in a state that's that delayed their start to the spring. So these are the big states that are starting in the spring. You've got California, which is the big one, obviously. Colorado, Delaware, the District of Columbia, Hawaii, Illinois, Maryland, Minnesota, Nevada, New Mexico, Oregon, Virginia, and Washington. Now, obviously, if you follow high school athletics, you'll know that California is without question the big the big starred state right now that has delayed their their start. You've got Modern Day number 2 in the country, St. John Bosco number 3, Centennial number 15. You've got Servite ranked 23rd. You've got four teams in the top 25 according to the Max Preps top 100 national rankings that are in the state of California. And so the first point is, again, what state are you in? Are you in a state that's planning on playing in the fall or are you in a state that's planning on playing in the spring? That's the first point. Here's the second big point. What kind of status of a recruit are you? 
and this isn't to discriminate against those that aren't good. This is not what that is. It, but if you are an elite four-star or a five-star recruit, heck, even if you're a legitimate three-star recruit, but you've secured a commitment to a major Division One university, even if it's not a Division One or major Division One university, if you have received potential scholarship offers and you've committed to playing for that school in the fall, what else do you need to showcase in an additional 10 games of the season when you've already committed to that school? Because to me, take a guy like J.J. McCarthy, for example, five-star pro-style quarterback, committed to Michigan, probably the best quarterback prospect that Jim Harbaugh has ever inherited. Not trying to take a shot at Shea Patterson for those Ole Miss fans, but Let's be serious. J.J. McCarthy is is the real deal. He's the real deal. There won't be any excuses with Jim Harbaugh when J.J. McCarthy gets there. This is a transcendent talent at IMG Academy who coming into this season is supposed to be the number one team in the nation. So the question is, if you're an elite player, why do you want to run that risk of playing an additional season? To me, I don't see the purpose. I don't think that there's much you're going to be able to do playing in an additional 10 games that's going to, one, maybe elevate your status from a four-star to a five-star. Or if you are a five-star and you're going into the nuances and and you're rated the 25th best player and, and you're trying to bump up to the 20th best player, I don't know if an additional 10 games in a truncated season is going to give you that opportunity. And as far as it affects your standing on the depth chart at the school that you're going to, do you really think that that's going to affect your standing on the depth chart? Perfect example right here from from a season ago is DJ Ugalele from St. John Bosco. He was going to be a top pick or I should say pick, I'm referencing pick, but a recruit, regardless of whether or not he had a senior season, he was a top two quarterback in the nation regardless. And he'd already committed to Clemson. And it wasn't like he was going to usurp Trevor Lawrence's role anyway as the starting quarterback job. So there wasn't much more that he could do. And there are a lot of other players like this. Take Corey Foreman, for example, at Centennial, the number one player in the nation who initially was committed to Clemson and then decommitted because of the co- because of COVID, it, it forced him to reflect a little bit more, and he realized he wanted to play a little bit closer to home. So the likelihood is that he will sign with, with a Pac-12 school. I think USC is the leading favorite right now, but I'm sure Oregon's got a chance in there. Just look at Justin Flo, the, the number one player from California last year committed to Oregon. So Corey Foreman. Is a perfect example. Does he need to play an additional 10 games this year to prove what? Every school has already given him a scholarship or offered him a scholarship. So to me, if you're already an elite high school prospect, there's really no need, in my opinion, for you to play. Here is the one exception. And I will concede there is an exception here. If you are 
maybe a three-star, maybe you're unranked at all. Maybe you're not touted at all. And you were hoping that this senior season was going to propel you to take that next step, to elevate yourself from that two-star to the three-star status, from a three-star to a four-star, maybe only collected five power five scholarships when ideally you were looking for 15. Those are the kind of players where, okay, I can step back and say, I understand why they want to play. That makes perfect sense to me. It's easy to comprehend. This is their opportunity. And maybe you play for a smaller school where you're not generating the same kind of publicity and attention that you would hope for if you're in a Texas or a Florida or a Georgia or a California. Maybe perfect example is if you play for Chandler, the number one team in Arizona. You don't get much attention. Rick Garrettson has done an incredible job there. I think entering his third season, they've won 26 straight games. They haven't lost a game since the opening game of 2018. Maybe you're a player from there and you say, hey, you know what? I need these 10 games to bolster my status as a recruit. And you know what? I can live with that. I understand that. That's a legitimate reason to play. But the problem is, the big concern is whether or not these, these advisory boards are doing their, due digil- uh, they're doing their due diligence, are being vigilant, responsible, and putting in place safety measures to ensure the safety of these players. And I think under, under any other season, I wouldn't feel this way. If the season got delayed to the spring, yes, you still run the risk of an injury, but, but the COVID virus has exacerbated this issue and, and has made it a much more salient problem right now. So that's the first Football Friday's first thoughts right here on Twitch TV and LandryFootball.com. And we've got a special guest for you right now. I can't believe I actually secured him. This is a real treat for me to get not only a coach that has been around for 22 years, but the head football coach of the reigning national high school football champion, St. John Bosco Braves, head coach Jason Negro joins the show. And I am so excited that that he has opted to join me today.
playing on your computer so easy. Why don't you play it on your computer now so it goes to the microphone? It's not coming out. There's no, there's no audio. No audio. years. You were the Max Preps National High School Football Coach of the Year this past year, the Coach of the Decade. I don't even know if you knew that. You're the, you know, Coach of the Decade. So just to provide some context for these listeners, how special it is and how much of a treat it really is to, to have you on. So let, let me ask you, last season, for me as an observer, what was an incredible season to watch you guys, 13-1. and one. Only loss coming to modern day earlier in the season in the Trinity League. You come back, you beat them in the Open Division Championship. You beat De La Salle in the CIF Open Division State Championship. How did you guys celebrate that entire season and that just pretty much national championship? Well, you know, first and foremost, we were able to actually uh, complete the season. And I think that's something in this current era. Uh, of this pandemic and things like that. All the spring sports here in California were canceled. Just for us to be able to finish that uh, was certainly a blessing for us. And, you know, we did have to drop the game earlier in the season of Modern Day. It was a tight contest. You know, they were number one in the country at the time. We were number two. And I think because of how well we played them and, you know, how close we kept the game throughout, that allowed us to, to remain number two in the country. So as we continued to go through the season, we were in a position to where we were going to see them again and we were able to beat them. And then follow that up with beating De La Salle, who was in the top 10 of the state, and it might even have been in the top 15 in the country at the time, that we could finish as, as national champs. And the thing that I was most proud about was the fact that we were unanimous champions, undisputed all over all over all the high school polls, whether it was USA Today, Max Prep, the Freeman Rankings, uh, Cal High Sports, any, any ranking service that was out there, we were ranked number one in the country. And that just gives you know, kind of a shout out to, to my program, um, you know, to, to the consistency that we have had through the years. And our kids stuck to a process. We did a really good job of understanding that what that what we wanted to do is try to finish strong at the end of the season. And we were able to do that. And good things happen to people like that that work hard. And our kids deserved everything that they were able to receive uh, at the conclusion in 2019. And, you know, going forward, hopefully we're going to be able to uh, put some pieces together uh, to finish 2020 strong as well. Now, I was privileged enough to actually call one of your high school football games. I got to see the one against Orange Lutheran. Okay. And they're a really quality team as well. And I have to be honest, when I, when I watched you guys play, you guys seem to be the most polished, disciplined, and college-ready team, that high school football team I'd ever seen. You guys have 16 seniors from that class that are now playing Division One college football next season. How truly special, first of all, was that team that you had? And how proud are you to know that your program was able to help facilitate and sending so many of these kids on to the next level? Well, I'm super proud of all the student athletes that we have in our school. And we, you know, consider Boston a destination. It's a place where people can come uh, to try to get college ready. And, and for me, to hear you say that about our program really means a lot to me because that's kind of what we're trying to build here at Bosco is we want to be a destination. We want to be a platform for kids to be able to showcase their talents on a national scene in a national, you know, kind of standpoint in order for them to be able to, um, to go to any colleges that they want across the country. And, you know, we have a couple of kids at Ohio state 
We have one at Clemson. We got another one going to Clemson. We have another starter down in Florida State. So our kids aren't just local products because that we are a national team and we're trying to expose them to you know these national programs. Our kids are going all over the country. So I'm super proud about that. But when you talk about you know the, the accomplishments and our teams being polished and things like that, you got to give all the credit to the coaching staff that we have. The, the, the entire athletic staff, the administration here at St. John Bosco, the teachers, the faculty, everybody is kind of committed to us being as great as we possibly can be in every facet of the high schools or high schoolers' life. So uh, I'm just very blessed to be kind of in a location that is the perfect storm, both academically, socially, and athletically, um, and also spiritually being here at, at a Catholic school, that our kids are just able to be on this platform that's unique. Um, we don't feel that, that that there's anything like it here in the Southern California area. And that's why we attract a lot of kids that want to come to our school. And we are truly a destination. And it's it's a sense of pride, but I've got a lot of help. It's not a one-man band. To be able to be as successful as we are, you need the help uh, of, from a lot of people. And I, I'm fortunate to have that. And speaking of a couple of the guys going to Clemson, you obviously have one notable in particular in, in DJ Ugalele and the season that, that he had. And you, you've had a lot of tremendous quarterbacks as your time. You had Josh Rosen there as well. But in your 22 years as really being involved in high school coaching, yes, time uh, at St. John Bosco as the head coach, but what was it like getting a chance to, to coach DJ Ugalele? I, I mean, have you seen many quarterback prospects like him and how do you think he's going to be able to learn under Trevor Lawrence uh, this past this next season well I tell you when we had Josh Rosen come through our program he was a three-year starter and you know obviously he was the 10th pick in the NFL draft and plays for the Miami Dolphins right now so he was certainly a talented player and when you're at a school like ours and you know we thought Josh might be a once in a generation type talent that you get and how many times at the high school level, you have kind of like a first-round draft pick, and then all of a sudden, a couple of years later, here comes DJ, and his skill set is certainly off the charts, and he, he's a little bit different type of quarterback than Josh. He's a little bit more physical, a little bit more powerful type of guy, um, but a lot of the same characteristics that Josh has in terms of his preparation, his work ethic, his, his, his knowledge of the game, and the way that he prepares each and every time that he takes the field are very similar, so I know, you know, DJ as he continues to progress through his career, um, he's going to be highly successful, and I fully expect him to be a top 10 pick in the NFL draft as well. You know, obviously, he's got a lot of work to do. Going to Clemson, I think that's awesome, and it was a great decision for him to go and try to learn under Trevor Lawrence and try to learn what it's like to be a professional and to be, you know, a national championship-type quarterback, and Trevor was able to do that as his freshman year there at Clemson, and I know DJ... You know, he's not going there to be a backup, though, and that's the first thing that he'll tell you. So he's pretty excited about his opportunity, I think, being under uh, Tony Elliott and, and those guys there that are, that are at Clemson and the offensive side of the ball, Brandon Streeter. Those guys are really talented coaches, along with Coach Sweeney. And, you know, he's in the right place to get him to where he wants to go, and that's ultimately in the NFL. And, again, if he continues to trend in the direction that he's trending in, he's going to be one of the most talented guys ever to come out of St. John Bosco. Absolutely. And again, getting a chance to, to see him, he, he always seemed to be so composed and playing at his own pace. No one seemed to be rushing him at total command over the pocket and then obviously throws a, a beautiful spiral. So I'm, I'm really excited to see him take that next step at Clemson as well. Now, to me, maybe this is a little bit biased living in Los Angeles, but I think that the Trinity League is the most difficult and competitive league across, across the entire country. and 
in your 10 years as the head coach, you've gone 45 and 11 in the Trinity League. And you had a stretch of about three, four years between like 2013 and 2016 to 17 where you didn't lose a game in the Trinity League. First of all, you, you've been a player at St. John Bosco. You've been uh, a defensive backs coach. Now you're the head coach. You've coached against these teams. How difficult is it to prepare for this league week in and week out? And how do you continue to find new and creative ways to just motivate your guys to, to get up for all of these games? Part of it is a mindset. You know, we had to change the culture when I got here in 2010 uh, to let the kids understand that we could actually win. And that's something that was never really talked about prior to me getting here. It was all about being able to compete and to go out there and do your best and things like that. Well, you know, being a graduate and being a part of the class of 1991 here at Moscow, I wasn't a part of really any elite teams here. And when I got back here in 2010, I knew that I was in a different role and I had an opportunity to build something special. I really felt that Bosco was a gold mine and it had an opportunity to be one of the elite high school programs in the country because of the geographical location, the support that we get from the administration. We're on 37 acres of land here. We have a home, you know, stadium or the only school in the league that has a stadium. So there was a lot of things that kind of came together and I knew if we just built the culture and we were able to change the mindset that we would be able to compete with these schools uh, that, that were, we were inferior to for so many years. And that's exactly what we were able to do. And we, we made a commitment to the weight room. We really spent a lot of time in trying to get bigger, faster, and stronger, and to be a more physical type football team, and, and try to announce our presence with authority a little bit. And, and, and as long as we were able to continue to do that, and we took care of all of those preparation things, the games just became a lot easier. And I think what we have done over the past 10 years is we've elevated the bar even more so in the Trinity League and made it even better than what it was back in 2010. Because you know, we just continue to get better. We can continue to raise the bar. I continue to get better coaches and to improve my staff and to make decisions that were going to make us more like a collegiate program, you know, as we are moving forward. And that is very, very attractive to young men. It's very attractive to parents. And that's exactly what they're looking for. And one of the greatest strengths that we have as a program is preparing our kids to when they get to college that they're going to be able to start and they're going to be able to contribute in their colleges, you know, their freshman or sophomore year. And as long as kids continue to do that, we're going to have a super successful program here at Bosco. And sticking with that theme of preparing your kids, there's no question you prepare them perhaps better better than any other program in the nation. And I think the matchup in particular that probably helps best prepare you is that matchup against modern day. You face them technically once a year, although the way that you guys are trending, it's essentially twice a year. And what does that what does that matchup mean to you in this program? Because to me, it's the greatest rivalry in high school football. It's certainly an honor. You know, there was some time when I started my career at the public school. I was at Tribuco Hills High School. I was a 29-year-old, know-nothing uh, head football coach at a small little school in Orange County. And I kind of always looked up to modern day. You know, even as a, as a student here at Bosco, it was just always kind of the big, big brother on the block. You know, they were super talented. Uh, they were well coached. You know, they have a legendary head coach, Bruce Rollinson, you know, who continued to turn out just really good teams year after year after year. And I always admired the type of consistency at which his teams played. And it always looked like, you know, the same football team from year to year. And that's something that I really wanted to pattern my program around when I started it here at Bosco. So if you look and turn on the film of a modern day team in, in 1995, and you turn on a modern day film in 2005, 
it was very similar. You saw the same type of teams, the same type of concept, you know, the same types of traditions. And that's something that I wanted to bring here to Moscow. And that's something that we have been able to do. And as we continue to win, it doesn't matter whether you're looking at the 2013 team or you're looking at the 2019 team and all those kids that were on those teams want to try to argue who the best team was. Uh, but again, it just looks like the clones of each other. And I think that is the greatest compliment to our program is to the consistency and what we've been able to do is basically clone a football team, which is the hardest thing to do at the high school level year in and year out. And, you know, the, the rivalry with modern day has made St. John Bosco better. And the better their program gets, the better my program's going to get. And we're going to continue to do that. And we're going to force teams across the country to get better themselves. Because, you know, I think we've won three out of the last four national championships, you know, at our two schools. And that's pretty rare to, to just be done in California, let alone in the same week. So I'm just proud to be a part of, of this great rivalry. I'm proud to be considered one of the best high school football teams in the country, along with modern day, because they make us better. Now, transitioning to a slightly more sober topic, California has obviously been experiencing a really high rate of positive COVID-19 cases, and they've even pushed the start of a potential 2020-2021 season until the spring, until at least January. First of all, how comfortable are you that, that a season won't take place? And if a season does take place, how comfortable are you sending your kids out there? Well, I, I'm an aggressive guy, and I have two teenage daughters. One's a senior, and one's going to be a freshman this upcoming fall. And, you know, it, it's kind of hard to answer that question because I'm looking at it from two different lenses. You know, as a parent, I, I want my daughters in a seat in a classroom from 8 a.m. to 3 o'clock, and I want them working and enjoying a high school experience. And, you know, I, I'm not afraid of taking risks. I'm not afraid of, of my kids having to experience um, some difficulties in their lives, and, and that's something that we're just going to have to live with. I don't, I don't think we're going to be able to eradicate this 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 virus. I don't think it's going to go away anytime soon, um, and I'm certainly not going to be afraid of it. So, you know, from my experience and what I want my kids to do is they're continuing in their dance programs. They're going to continue to be a part of the song program at their high school, and I cannot wait for them to be able to get back in um, and to experience what it's like to be a part of a high school, um, you know, you know, class, and, and that's something that I am so disappointed in, and, and a lot of our kids aren't experiencing the things that they only get a four-year window to be able to experience. These kids only get four years, like four cracks of this, in order to enjoy what could be some of the best times of their lives. So now, if you look at it from a coach and, and, and having to put a team out there, I guess the best thing that I have to tell you is I'm going to do everything within my power to ensure the health and the safety of my young men, my coaching staff, and the entire you know, St. John Bosco football community here. And we're going to take an aggressive approach. We're going to try to do the things that we can do um, to properly prepare our kids to be as safe as they possibly can. And we're going to look at the CDC guidelines. We're going to look at what's happening here in California. And we're going to adhere to all of those kind of mandates that they're placing upon us. But at, at the end of the day, you know, I, I think that we're going to have to learn to live with this thing. I think if you look at Major League Baseball and you see a lot of these teams that are testing positive, those guys are testing positive, but the guys aren't even necessarily sick. They become negative, and then they go back to playing. And I think kids are going to just going to be have to deal with that because ultimately that's what we've been doing each and every year. I mean, we play in the middle of flu season um, as it is. And I know the flu is not necessarily the same thing as COVID, but we're going to have to learn to live with this. And if we can manage it without being reckless, I think that's the best uh, steps we can do moving forward. 
And have you had to get a little more, bit more creative in terms of how you've been communicating with your players? How has that been during this quarantine? It's a little bit harder. You know, we have a platform set up, uh, you know, through Zoom where we can meet with our players. We did that. On our spring practice was all done virtually. We set all of the workouts through our huddle platform, um, which provided, you know, videos and things like that for our kids to be able to do workouts on their own. And then we were actually able to get six weeks of a modified type summer workout in where we brought kids in. Um, starting at two o'clock, a group of 10 came in with one coach. And then we went through a 70 minute workout where they kind of navigated through stations. And the next group came in at 210. The following group came in at 220. And we were able to space them out. We were able to put some um, some some workouts together where I thought that was very productive. I thought our kids got a little bit stronger. And the biggest thing is we were able to kind of manage the mental health of these young men. And that's the thing that I, that I think so many people are forgetting to understand or forgetting to realize is how important it is for the mental aspect of these young guys and for them to be isolated and locked up and away from their friends isn't good for them. And it's going to have long lasting effects on them. And, and hopefully we can get back soon. Um, so that way they can get back into a social environment. Now, assuming that you do get a chance to play out a season, there's no question, listen, you guys lost 16 seniors from a season ago, and, and the quarterback is, is still a question mark whether you're going to go with, with a guy like Chase Pierce or, or Caden Hauser or someone else. But what, regardless, your offense and your defense is always great. I mean, you always you replenish players. No one's worried about that. Some people, again, the biggest question mark is at the quarterback position. But regardless, what, what kind of expectations would you have for this team uh, if, if the season is able to resume? You know, it's going to be tough. I mean, I think the hardest part for us is we didn't get a spring evaluation period. You know, we weren't able to practice in the spring where those quarterbacks were going to be able to compete. But you know what? When you take a look at high school football, and I mentioned it a little bit earlier in, in this podcast, was the fact that, you know, when we started um, – you know, the, the program, we talked about being consistent from year to year. And, and, and I don't mean any disrespect to any of the players, but, you know, I believe that once one guy moves on, we've got another guy ready to, to step up. And that's a testament to what we do and how we have prepared our kids. You know, when we lost Josh Rosen and he graduated in 2014, we were like, oh, my gosh, or he's graduating in 2015. Who's going to be our quarterback for the 15th season? That was a ton of question marks and what we were going to do. And it just so happened to be that Quentin Davis stepped in and statistically has been the best quarterback we've ever had here in 10 years based on production. And then when Quentin Davis left, we're like, oh, my gosh, what are we going to do? And Real Mitchell stepped in and Real ended up taking us to a state championship when we won in 2016. Then when Real moved on, we had DJ come in who led us to a state title. So even though the names might change, I think the production at the position is going to remain the same. I have a lot of faith in my coaches. I have a lot of faith in the young men and the preparations that they put in going into the season. And that's not just at the quarterback position. It's in a lot of the positions that we have in our program that it's just kind of the next man up mentality, and that's the approach that we're going to continue to take. And as you mentioned, in each 29, you become the head coach at Tribuca Hills, which is unheard of, extremely impressive. Getting a chance to kind of look back at that experience, the tremendous success that you had there, to now being at St. John Bosco, is there anything that you've noticed in your in your coaching techniques, and whether it be the way you communicate with players, or the drills, or the way you communicate with parents? Anything that you notice that you do differently now than you did when you were at Tribuca Hills that got you a chance 
and gave you a chance to kind of learn and improve it and build upon your, your coaching techniques. Now, I don't know if this interview is long enough to list all the things that I have learned over the years. You know, when I was 29 years old, uh, you know, it was my first year head coach, and I'd only been a high school coach for five years, so I really was, you know, over my skis a little bit. I was underqualified for the position, but luckily there was a hiring increase in the district. And, you know, things happened for a reason, and I was thrusted into a position um, as the head coach. But I will tell you one thing that has stayed consistent is the amount of work and how hard – um, I try to prepare my football teams every single year. That hasn't changed. You know, what has changed is probably a little bit of my confidence. You know, you talked about talking with parents. You know, I have now a resume that is built up that it's kind of hard to question the, the decisions that we make as a program now uh, because we have been able to display um, some knowledge. We have been able to back it up with some wins and things like that. But Tribuco was tough. You know, when I first started, we lost our first eight football games, which you know, really we, um, has affected my overall coaching record because we were 0-8 at one time, uh, finished the season at 2-8. and But from that season on, we just progressively got better. And I think that we've made the playoffs, you know, shoot, I, I think it's, it was nine years here and 14 out of my 17 years as a head football coach. We've been um, to the CIF Southern Section playoffs. We've won three state titles. We've won two national titles. Um, we've certainly accomplished a lot, but I still think that we're only scratching the surface of how well we can continue to prepare our football program here at Moscow and how good we can be into the future because I've got a lot of innovative people around here. I've got a lot of people that are supportive, and our train is going to continue, you know, full speed ahead down the tracks because we want to, we like the success, and we want to continue to be successful, and I think the people that are attracted to our program have that same mindset. All right, final question, and then I'll let you go. What's been the most bizarre activity, family activity, you've done during this quarantine? Oh, shoot. Um, God, that's a, I don't know. I have daughters, you know, so there's three women in my house. And, you know, I, I, I will have to say, you know, watching Stranger Things, that's something that we did as a family. My daughters are fucking the heck out of me. Uh, to watch Stranger Things, that's some, something that I did. Um, you know, I'm pretty fortunate. I live down by the beach, so I spent a lot of time riding a bike down there. I do some swimming here at Bosco to kind of keep my activity up. Uh, I've done a lot here on campus in terms of emptying out closets, going through a bunch of things, uh, spending some time in my in my weight room. I put together some episodes on our social media accounts just to let people know what I was doing and how we were progressing through this thing. So, um Kind of doing a lot of YouTube things and, and stuff like that, just trying to raise some awareness about Boston football and and hopefully um, giving some people some insights to what we're doing. But it's, I'm a struggle. I'm a, I'm a coach. I'm an active guy. And this has really put a uh, kind of a kink in my um, in, in my cogs here. Well, listen. I, I mean, the, the point of, of this show is, is to be able to shine a light on guys like you on programs that have displayed whether it's a little consistency or a lot of consistency in your, in your case. And it's a true pleasure for me to have you on. And I hope uh, for, for your sake that uh, that a season can continue because I would love to see you guys play this season. So thank you so much, Coach, uh, for joining me. Yeah, no problem. It's been a pleasure. Anytime you want to talk high school football, it's really nice to be able to reminisce about this. And I, I'm, I'm confident in what the CIF Southern section has done. I'm confident what the state has done and try to give our kids an opportunity to push the season back as far as possible. Um, and they maintained a lot of the integrity of the season. So we have 10 game regular season, four rounds of the playoffs, state rounds. So 
Um, you know, we're going to continue to pray and we're going to continue to think good thoughts. And hopefully in a couple months from now, we're ready to kick off football in January. Perfect. Thank you so much, Coach. Gosh, what a great guy. Coach Jason Negro, really appreciate him taking some time to, to join me. And what people just don't get a chance to see is the – pardon me for that. Pardon that. Uh, you know, what people don't always get a chance to see are the characters underneath a lot of these coaches. All you see is who they are on the surface, who they are on the sidelines with their clipboard with their hat when it's 8 p.m. Still don't quite understand that fashion look, but I guess that's just something that I'll have to discuss with Fitum at another time. But it really is a true pleasure just to get him on. And again, this is a guy who has really built his way through, understands what it takes to take that next step. And now you're looking at a guy who was or is the head coach of the reigning National High School Football Championship team, St. John Bosco Braves, and that was head coach Jason Negro. So thank you so much, Coach, for, for joining me. And now transitioning to th – this is another topic that I'm really interested in talking about and something that I will continue to broach throughout every pretty much every single show because until an actual high school football game is played, I think it's important to preview – some of these teams, some of these conferences. So what I'm doing right now is going to break down and look at my top five best leagues and conferences in the high school football landscape. So our top league coming into the season, and by the way, this isn't just about where you finished last year, but it factors in a lot of things, factors in where you were last season, where you're expected to be going into this year, so here's the top five. At number one, coming in for number one, is the Trinity League in Southern California. I think it goes without saying, when you start to really look at this league, the fact that you've got modern day ranked number two coming into this season and St. John Bosco in the same conference, that, that's, that's a formidable duo right there. I mean, you don't have too many other leagues that feature literally top three teams year in and year out. In fact, the last four years, either St. John Bosco or Modern Day has won the national or has finished as the number one ranked team in the nation. And, and there's a reason why. I mean, you look at a team like Modern Day, they've got an experienced head coach. Bruce Rowlandson has been there for 31 seasons. This is going to be his 32nd season at the helm. And yes, they're losing a big time quarterback in Bryce Young, but they are inheriting a great player, a great transfer player in Miller Moss, a four-star pro-style quarterback transferred from Alamany. That's actually a big loss for Alamany too because they have a, a talented team as well. And it's really interesting because people just assume there's going to be this big drop-off between the kind of production that Bryce Young was giving modern day and the type of production that Miller Moss can provide. And I'm here to debunk that. Now, don't get me wrong. I'm not claiming at all that that Miller Moss is the same quarterback as Bryce Young. Bryce Young was the number one quarterback from last season. There's a reason why he was so highly touted. There's a reason he's likely going to start at Alabama next year, even though Mac Jones might compete, not might, will compete for the job. But if you look at their season stats, not from the senior year, because Miller Moss hasn't gotten a chance to play a senior year, and he's not going to catch 
the type of season that Bryce Young had. But if you look at the junior year, okay, the junior year, Bryce Young in his junior year, he had a fantastic season in which he threw for 3,800 yards, about a 69% completion percentage, and 39 touchdowns, six interceptions his junior year. That's that's fantastic whether or not you're a junior or you're a senior. Miller Moss, not too far behind his, his junior year as well. He threw for 3,100 yards, 67% completion percentage, 28 touchdowns, and 10 interceptions. So clearly the accuracy is not quite there. We understand that. But then again, he wasn't throwing to the same kind of weapons that he's going to be throwing to this year. He's got Kyron Hudson Ware this year, assuming that they get to play. A fantastic four-star wide receiver. So this is a really talented team. And I mean, Bruce Rollinson has led this team to two state titles over the last three seasons. It's almost kind of the, the, the Belichick syndrome where you just kind of expect, even if you lose a top guy, that they're going to find a way to pick up the pieces and be still a fantastic team. They've got one of the best running backs in Raleek Brown. They've got the best junior cornerback uh, in California in Domani Jackson. And then they've got the best, the second best overall recruit in California, one of the best outside linebackers in Rajon Davis, who's committed to LSU. This is a stacked team on both offense and defense. And then right behind them is St. John Bosco. And the only reason why they drop to number three is because they lose quarterback DJ Ugalele. It goes without saying that that is a major void that they will have to fill, whether it will be the sophomore Chase Pierce, which I think he's got a little bit more upside. So that that's who I would go with personally. But they also have the junior Caden Hauser, who's got more experience, who's been a part of their team a little bit longer. So that's kind of the battle. And when you listen to Coach Negro, who was just on a minute ago, that's not the most important aspect of his team. It's about establishing a culture. And again, he thought after they lost Josh Rosen, they wouldn't just find a a gem in the rough, right? In DJ Ugalele, yet they still managed to be a fantastic team and develop a fantastic quarterback. So St. John Bosco is, is going to be there. Bo Collins is one of the best, one of the fastest wide receivers in the nation. He's committed to Clemson, so he will be with DJ Ugalele next year, or I guess in, I should say in two years, but the, the fall of 2021. So he's really fantastic. Ugalele's younger brother, Mateo, is a fantastic weak defensive end. And none of this should be a surprise because they recruit extremely well. And, and this team is just so balanced, again, offense and defense. So those two teams make up the top of the Trinity League. But then don't forget about Servite. Servite under Troy Thomas is going to be a force to, is going to be forced in, in this league. And Noah Fafita and Tetsuroa McMillan, those two guys are just juniors. They're not going anywhere. Tetsuroa McMillan is the number one wide receiver for a junior in the nation. And Noah Fafita had a fantastic season. He threw for nearly 3,000 yards and 37 touchdowns playing in the Trinity League. This is a team that, that went 7-4 and four in the Trinity League. When you know you're going to be playing St. John Bosco and, and Modern Day and so I think that if there's one team that could maybe challenge them, that is 
that's the one. Servite is the one. Jay Sarah Catholic is also a talented team. I don't see them making much noise. But So the Trinity League really buffered by St. John Bosco and Modern Day is my number one team, my number one league going into the 2020 season. Now, number two is actually really interesting. It's the Washington Catholic Athletic Conference. These are teams that make up Maryland and Washington, D.C., and this is really stacked too. You have technically coming into this season, according to Max Preps, good counsel in Maryland coming in at 18, St. John's Cadets coming in at 19, and DeMatha Stags coming in at 20. Now, these are really interchangeable, really. And it's it's really impressive about, about good counsel because last season was the first time that they won the Washington Catholic Athletic Conference since 2012. So this is a team that's got experience. They've got one of the more fantastic offensive tackles committed to Penn State in Landon Tengwall. So they're going to still be here. They're going to still be here, but I would give a slight edge to the St. John's Cadets. They were the number one team in Washington, D.C. last year. And they've won three regular season in they've won three regular season titles in three consecutive seasons. So this is a team that's got experience and Pat Ward, even though he's a new coach coming into his first season is going to have a lot of talent there. And DeMatha coming in right behind him at 20. Again, these are three teams in the top 20, according to max preps. The big thing that hurts them is that they lose their, they're really talented inside linebacker, uh, Jay Sean Barham, who transferred to St. Francis Academy in Baltimore, who actually checks in at number four overall in the top 100 rankings. So this is a really fantastic league. And then Gonzaga Eagles, they've got the number one player in the nation, quarterback Caleb Williams committed to Oklahoma. But again, this becomes the issue of who does he have to support him? Russell Wilson with the Seahawks, He's not able to do much unless he's got wide receivers. I love John Schneider, but you traded for Jamal Adams. Russell Wilson needs receivers. So Caleb Williams, the the difficulty is there's only so much that an elite quarterback can do on his own to uplift the team. And he needs help. And he doesn't have that right now. So the fact that they're even coming in at 31, that in and of itself is extremely impressive. And, And he's a fantastic transcendent player. And Lincoln Riley is going to be inheriting, again, another great, great talent. He really is. So those are the top two. Top three, the third best league in in my opinion, it actually comes out of New Jersey. It's the United Red League. And this is a fun league to dissect because it's another one where you're looking at a bunch of teams that have so much potential. They've got some younger guys. St. Peter's Prep, the Martyrs coming in at 29th. They come in finishing as the best team in New Jersey from a season ago. And then right behind them at 37 is Bergen Catholic Crusaders. Now, they're an interesting story. They finished 5-4 and last season, yet somehow find themselves in the top 40 coming into this season. So you say to yourself, oh, well, why is that is? Oh, well, I don't know. It's because they've got the number one player in New Jersey, Taiwan Malone, number one defensive tackle in New Jersey. He's going to be a force on the defensive side of the ball. 
And then they've got another guy who, and not to mention Malone is a max preps uh, preseason All-American. And then they've got Jaden Gold, who's a four-star cornerback on the sophomore All-American max preps roster. And he missed the entire last season with an injury. So he's coming back. He's healthy. So their defense is going to be absolutely stacked. Those are the first two teams in the United Red League. And again, this is the preseason, right? And I think if anything, as we're seeing at the college level, all the conferences have omitted the non-conference games out of their schedule. So this is really about, okay, who do you get to play in your league? Because they're trying to restrict and limit travel. So this really helps a conference that's got so many teams featured in the top 100. Now, the final team to round out the United Red League is the St. Joseph Regional Green Knights. Dan Moranji in his first season will have to try and figure something out. This team finished 7-4 last season. But again, taking that big jump, they were 122nd in the nation at the end of last year. So looking to build on some of that momentum from a season ago. Now, my fourth best league comes from Georgia, and it's the 7A Region 1 League in Georgia. You've got Londis and the Vikings and Colquitt County. I don't think Londis is necessarily going to be challenged too much this season, um, especially for Jamie Dubose, who's, who's coming into his first season as the head coach. He's inheriting a really good team, and they've got a great quarterback in Ja'Curry Brown. He's a dual quarterback, almost reminds me a little bit of Lamar Jackson with that evasiveness that he possesses, and not necessarily a – they don't necessarily possess the the best defense or the most intimidating defensive line. But, again, if you have a really athletic, a really mobile quarterback, you can mask some of those flaws. And Colquitt County, this is just kind of a happy season with, with Justin Rogers coming into a second season, coming in at 55. They're probably going to be the only threat to Londis. So I, I see those two teams at least uplifting that, that entire league. So that comes in at number four. And then finally, my fifth best conference going into this season is the Mission League out of, uh, out of Southern California. This team has got Alamany at 62. They got Bishop Amat at 90 and Sarah of Gardena at 93. Just because Alamany lost Miller Moss, don't think for one second that this isn't going to be a really good team because this is. And they've got one of the best athletes in Jalen Smith, who's a tremendous player on the defensive side of the ball. He's going to be carrying this team. And I just think Alamany is one of those teams that kind of just flies under the radar year in and year out. And they never, they never get enough attention that they deserve. And this is a really good team. And Casey Clawson coming from Calabasas now to Alamany, entering his third season, did a great job with this team last year. Finished 24th in California, 9-3 and three overall record. And they're actually getting a, a talented Calabasas quarterback transfer in Dylan Jebbia, the younger brother of Tristan Jebbia, who's the 
head, uh, who's the quarterback at Oregon State. So th- this is going to be a good team. And Bishop Amat, listen, last year their only two losses came against teams in the Trinity League. They lost to Modern Day. And there, there's no shame in that. They still have Dyson McCutcheon, who's a really talented uh, defensive back committed to Washington. He's going to anchor that defense, that, that, that secondary for Bishop Amont. So they're a really good team. And then Sarah Gardena, they got Malik Murphy, who is rated the number two pro style quarterback as a junior. And he didn't really get a chance to play under Doug Brumfield last season, but I expect him to make a major jump. He's received scholarship offers from practically every single school. He's immensely talented, and this is a team that's got receivers, and they've got athletes, and Malik Murphy, I think, is going to is going to uplift them at the end of the day. So those are my top five leagues entering the 2020 season. Again, assuming that a season does, in fact, take place. And now wrapping up the show, just a couple minutes left. This is going to be one of my – Again, favorite segments to do. This is called Malkin's Moments. And normally this is picking a moment in high school sports that is memorable. Doesn't necessarily, or it doesn't have to necessarily just be high school sports, but it can be just sports related in general. And this week, this has to do with the Pac-12 players showing a tremendous amount of unity. And they came together and they wrote a letter threatening to opt out of the season unless the Pac-12 granted their their demands. And to, to me, you know, they, they, they want fair treatment, safety regulations, concerns over racial justice for college athletes. They, they want to make sure that those are enforced by the conference. They said, because NCAA sports exploit college athletes physically, economically and academically, and also disproportionately harm black college athletes, hashtag we are united. And this is an example of players taking ownership of their life. I love this independence being shown. I love that these players care enough that they want to be treated equally. They're demanding justice. Colleges haven't come out with a ton of safety protocols to ensure the the safety and well-being of these college athletes. They haven't done that. So I understand their reservations and not wanting to play or at least not play until certain regulations are are met and protocols are, are implemented. Not to mention this is coming from the Pac-12, which is typically lags behind when it comes to anything related to leadership among the Power Five conferences. So this is really special for them. So, wow, that's been the first show. Thank you so much for joining me. This was so much fun. I'm going to be here every single week from Fridays, 5 to 6 p.m. and 9 to 10 p.m. Pacific Standard Time. Make sure to like, rate, review, comment, subscribe right here on Twitch TV and the Landry Football Podcasting Network, Landry Football Network, and LandryFootball.com. I'm Jonah Malkin saying good night. And again, 
you have been watching and listening to the first ever edition of football of football friday take care you guys